0: Okay, so the title of this message this morning is Manasseh's Journey to God. Manasseh is one of the kings of Israel. We're going to dig into that this morning. We're going to be in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 33. We're going to just read a couple of verses, 10 through 17. They'll put that up on the screen for you if you'd like to follow that way. The Bible says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the kings of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So <laughs> that's a pretty bad picture. But the bottom line is, they they captured him, they put him in chains, and they let him uh, uh, like he would lead an animal to slaughter. They let him back to Babylon when he was in affliction. The Bible says Manasseh cried out or implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to God, prayed to him, and he God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount to the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only... So uh, there's a lot in here. If you're not familiar with the story, I've got to give you enough for you to understand what's taking place. Manasseh is one of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. His father was a guy named King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was known as one of the greatest kings in Israel uh, when it came to seeking after the Lord. He had a heart for God. Served God all his life, and we looked at before how uh, Hezekiah. I probably preached it a couple of times. Was a praying man. Every time he got into a situation, he prayed. God heard his prayer. God intervened. He got sick. He got. He prayed. God heard his prayer. He got well. Um, but you know, even even the best of us have faults. And you like, your wives are going, yes, they do. <laughs> Okay, unfortunately for Hezekiah, as good as he was, one of his chief faults was he lived without much concern for the next generation or the generations that would come after him. He was more concerned with what was happening in his life. Sounds like today, doesn't it? 2 Kings twenty sixteen through 19 highlights that. It says that Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, what your fathers have accumulated until this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now, why is that a problem? Well, every time he got into a pickle, he prayed, and God heard his prayer. But since this wasn't going to afflict him, wasn't going to affect him, what you'll notice is he didn't pray. Now, that's how I I come up with the idea that he wasn't concerned as much for the next generation as much as for the generation that he lived in. And I want to tell you something. I could stop right here and I could camp. The church is so focused oftentimes on the rapture, they don't really care what happens after them. I'm not saying there won't be a rapture, but God's heart is not just concerned with today. He's concerned with the next generation. Amen? Okay, so... We see one glaring instance in this text where Hezekiah did not pray about a situation because the situation would not affect him. Sadly for the people, Manasseh was the next generation. Manasseh had what, and I'm just going to make it simple, what I'm going to call daddy issues. So when he became king, he rebelled against what his dad stood for. Also, since he was king, he took the kingdom that he was ruling over with him in his rebellion. The Bible describes his reign this way. 2 Chronicles 33, 1 through 2, and then I'll jump down to verse 9. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil. Not good, not right. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel and if we jump down to verse 9 the Bible says so Manasseh seduced Judah that's the, the people that he was over and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel so that brings us to our text that we read when we first started and um, we're going to go into our first point which is Manasseh's captivity. Okay, so if we were to go back and read our text again, the Bible says the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now, let's be clear about Manasseh's situation Manasseh was the king of Israel. In the city where he reigned was the temple of God, one of the seven wonders of the world, what people have classified. We don't have it now. It's been destroyed, but at one time it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Manasseh, being the king of Israel, Uh, having uh, the privilege of being born under Hezekiah's reign, Hezekiah being his dad, even though Hezekiah probably didn't pay a lot of attention to him, it doesn't mean that Hezekiah didn't make sure that his son was taught the ways of God. So Manasseh would have been taught the word of God. He wasn't ignorant of the faith of his ancestors. He simply chose to reject it. He chose to rebel against what he was raised in, and he elected to follow the ways of the wicked nations around him. He elected to go into the world and become like the world. If we were bringing this home to where we live, Manasseh, you might say, was a a church kid. He may have been a child of a church leader. He may have even been a pastor's kid. He was taken to church. He was taught in Sunday school and youth and maybe even had a salvation experience after which he was baptized. But somehow the enemy got his claws into his life. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, we too have daddy issues, mom issues. I don't know. And when it came to time to, to take the leadership in the church to follow after his call to lead, he decided to go in a different direction. You might say he backslid a little as if you can do that. No, he didn't backslide a little. He backslid hard. And I want you to know there's no hard, there's no little. You backslide, you backslide, that means you go away from God. Right? How far you go doesn't really matter. It's the fact that you're going away from God. Anything you could think of doing, he was not only doing it, he was leading others to do it as well. You see, God created all of us, all humanity, his crowning creation, you and I, in his image and his likeness to rule and reign on this planet in his stead. Always underneath his auspices, together with God, he created us to steward this planet. Genesis 1.28 says God blessed them. That's Adam and Eve, humanity uh, 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 from where we came from. And by the way, if you're confused about who you are, you were born in the image and the light. You were created in the image and the likeness of God. You were created male and female. Not that hard. So. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. So, what does God want to do? He wants us to fill the earth. There's a movement today that wants to depopulate the earth. Not that hard. God's will is always better than humanity's. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were supposed to have dominion over the things of this world. And when we're talking about dominion, we're not talking about, uh, you know, holding things in captivity. We're talking about stewardship. That's what the real meaning is. And whenever you're a, a, a godly steward over something, the people under you or the things under you become better. Kind of like a caretaker over a garden, if you're a good gardener, that garden is going to prosper, right? You're never supposed to have dominion over the people, only the things of the world, and you're there to serve it so that it prospers. But what often happens is when we abandon God, those things that we're supposed to have dominion over end up having dominion over us, right? How many of us, we're we're supposed to have stewardship over the earth, over the things of the earth, and instead of having dominion over the plants and dominion over the fruits, those things have dominion over us in the way of alcohol and drugs. Uh, Much much of that comes from the plants of the earth, and instead of having dominion over it, it has dominion over us. I'm just going to have a drink, and you have a drink, and the next thing you know, you've had twenty-four. I'm never going to drink again. And the next thing you know, you look back at the year and you couldn't stop drinking. And not only that, your family is broken up because of what alcohol and drugs have done in your life. All you wanted to do was try it. And the next thing you know, that thing began to rule and reign in your life over you. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. When you rebel against God and start going and doing things that you know, remember we're talking to people that were raised in church. Most people in this area know something about God. I didn't. So you might be here and you might be like me, but many people do. Many people have had some kind of background, have some kind of knowledge of going to church. Your parents or your grandparents took you to Sunday school. You know something about God. Well, well, Here's the thing. Whenever you commit sin, you think, well, I'm going to go my own way. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to be my own steward over my life. But Jesus said there is no such thing as that. If you don't serve God, you're serving sin. You are in captivity to sin. Galatians 5:19 through21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. By the way, Jesus said, it's not just whether you do it. if you even think about doing it, you've committed adultery in your heart. Because it's really what's in here. Adultery fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. By the way, contentions and jealousies are the things that oftentimes the church says, I don't have a problem with something, but at the same time you you have anger, you have unforgiveness, you have jealousy in your heart. Those are sins as well. outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, Paul is writing the church, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In our text, Manasseh became a captive to the ruler of Babylon, who is a type of the ruler of this world, which is the devil. Why did that happen? Because he refused to serve the Lord. He rebelled against God. Now, I want to tell you something. You're going to serve someone, if not the Lord, you're serving the author of sin, and that is the devil. Okay? Matthew six twenty four says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So some of you all, you say, well, I am not serving no devil, but you're serving money. You'll do whatever your money tells you to do right? You're not serving God, you're serving money. You cannot serve God in money, but there's a spirit behind money called mammon, and that's why Jesus said you cannot serve God in mammon. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4. through four. Now, money's not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of, a root of Evil. But let me get get back. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. i read you that text for you to realize that even Jesus himself uh, uh, and also Paul in their writings are telling you that there is a God of this world, quote, little little g, in quotation marks, who has uh, some some dominion in this planet, and that's the devil. Okay, so Manasseh, because he rebelled against God, was taken captive to Babylon, who is a type of the ruler of this world, who is a type of the enemy. He thought he could handle. He thought he could do these things. Next thing you know, these things take him captive. Right? Whether it's drugs, pornography alcohol, whatever the case may be, these things can take you captive. And that's what happened with Manasseh. So Manasseh is, uh, the second point we're going to look at is Manasseh's repentance. Second Chronicles 33, 12 through 13. When he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. So you see, Manasseh was taken and changed to Babylon. And while he was there, the Bible says he was in affliction. In his, in his affliction, he implored the Lord his God. Now, I thought that was interesting that the Bible says he called out not to the Lord God, but the Lord his God. Manasseh knew what was right. He was just living in rebellion. He knew the Lord was God, and it took the affliction, the pain, the circumstances that he was going to for him to finally call out to God. He got so tired of what he was doing Dealing with that, he said there's got to be a better way. And if it, it and, and you know, God doesn't want you to go through the things that you go through, the things, but you know, He gives us free will. And if we're not willing to call out to God, oftentimes what will happen is He will let us experience the pain of our choices. I think a lot of times, I think one of the reasons we have spoiled kids today is because we don't let them experience the pain of their choices, we don't discipline them. We don't let things that that happen. Now, I'm not saying you want your kids to, to go into a situation like drugs and alcohol. I'm not saying that. But when they're little, we have to realize that if God, like God stewards and disciplines us, we've got to bring discipline into our families so our kids learn that there are consequences to bad behavior. The reason we're having problems in the schools that we're having is because there are no consequences anymore to bad behavior. There's no consequences at home, and there's no consequences in the school, and so guess what? No consequences, kids do whatever they want. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, but if you don't know this, I like rabbits. All right. Let's get back to where, we, where we're at, all right? So Manasseh knew, knew what was right. He was just living in rebellion. He knew the Lord was God. It took the affliction he was in to embrace the Lord as God. When he was in the situation, he called out, he entreated to the Lord and prayed. Now I'm going to give you an illustration, not so much bad and good, but just to try to get you to understand what I was talking about. I, many years ago, I, I weighed 280 pounds and... And I was pretty much pretty overweight. And I went in, uh, had to have gallbladder surgery. And the doctor, after I was done, they wanted to talk to me about sleep apnea. I said, I don't have sleep apnea. I said, well, we think you might because we had a hard time getting you out of anesthesia. And I said, well, I've never had that before. So it motivated me to lose 40 pounds. I lost 40 pounds. Kept it pretty much off. Um, but I've also struggled with my back, and I'm believing God for healing. I will get healed, at, at, I will receive that healing at some point. But it's still a struggle, and uh, I, I thought to myself, I was miserable. I was miserable. I was. It was hurting. I was in pain. It was horrible, and and I got so bad that I, I said I better lose some weight. And it motivated me. I said the least I can do is lose the. the the rest of the weight that I have because it's possible it's putting weight on my spine and it's creating some problems there. So it took that pain for me to do what I should have done without the pain. Right? I mean, sometimes we don't want to tackle something if we don't feel the pain of it. It shouldn't be that way, but let's just be honest. Right? Right? It's that pain, that affliction that motivates us to do what we know is right, but we didn't do it, and now we're in so much pain, we're in so much affliction that we'll even consider going to church. And that's not a bad thing. No way am I saying that's a bad thing. But if you weren't in pain or affliction, you probably wouldn't come to church unless you were raised in church and you already go to church. Right? But if you're having problems, guess what happens? Right along that time, somebody that's been trying to get you to come to church, you said, no, no, no. All of a sudden, they say, hey, would you like to come to church? And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would because I'm in a lot of problems right now. That's what Manasseh was in. Manasseh was in affliction. And when he was in affliction, in affliction, he knew it was right. He was just living in rebellion. He knew the Lord was God. It took the affliction he was in to call out and, and pray to God. And when he was in that situation, he entreated the Lord. He prayed. And while I don't believe God in any way takes pleasure in the pain that his creation goes through, he will allow us to experience the pain of our choices so we can differentiate between the consequences between serving God and serving the enemy, which we often couch as serving ourselves. Proverbs 1 29 through 31 because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord they would have none of my counsel this is the Lord speaking in 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 wisdom through wisdom and desired uh, despise my every rebuke therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies there was another scripture in Proverbs 14 and 12 says there is a way that seems right to a man but in the way in the end it leads to death The good news is that even in his affliction, when Manasseh called out to God, God heard his prayer. Some of you think, well, God wouldn't forgive me. He doesn't know what I've done. He knows everything you've done. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, I want you to know that God knows and God's heart is the same. It is to forgive. It is to restore. It is to make things in your life not worse but better by reconciling with you. The good news is that even in his affliction, God heard the prayer of Manasseh, and he began the process of bringing Manasseh home. Romans 10 and 13. Whoever calls, it doesn't matter what your situation is, it doesn't say unless it's as bad as yours. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was a thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. I don't know what he did, but it was bad enough to be crucified. Jesus was crucified not because of anything he did wrong. He was crucified because he gave his life for you and I. But this thief was crucified because he did something wrong. Yet even on the cross of Calvary, he had a friend that was that was uh, mocking Jesus and despising Jesus. And this thief says, hey, we've, we're we here because we've done something wrong. This righteous man didn't do anything wrong. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you, when you get to your Father which is in heaven. And he said to him, today you, because of what he recognized in Christ, you, no matter what you've done, even at this very point of life, be, you will be with me in peril. Paradise. That's how good God is. This reminds me of a parable in the New Testament. Many of y'all may have heard it. Luke 15, 11 through 24, often called the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to read the text to you. It said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, his livelihood. Now, I mean, you know, you don't usually get an inheritance before your father dies. So in some way, some people have looked at this and said you can think about it in some way this kid was saying, "Hey man, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance." Right? Think about the pain that would cause a father, but the father did it. He let the kid do uh, uh, and, and uh, go his own way. That's often the hardest thing for us to do as parents is to let our kids make the choices that we know is wrong. I'm not saying we don't tell them. I'm, not sa- I'm talking about older kids as they become older. I'm not saying that we don't advise them and we don't pray for them, but sometimes you just got to let them go. I'm telling you, I'm a parent too. It's hard. The Bible says when he had uh, he he met not, uh, so he divided them in his livelihood. Verse thirteen. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now his father had no idea what was going on. They didn't have cell phones back then. Didn't have GPS tracking. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have any social media. So he wasn't posting his his stuff. So you can't imagine what the father must be thinking. But the son is just. Blowing through his inheritance on, on, on whatever living he wanted to do. Uh, thing, His father has no clue. He's just, he's just going after it. But when he had spent all, because there will be a time when, you, when it's all gone. Then he went, uh, uh, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed sw- swine. And it was, it's so bad, i got to get a job. And not only do I got to get a job, I got to get a job doing things that my, my, my heritage, my ancestry despises. And he had to feed the pigs. And the Bible says... He was so hungry, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, uh, uh, Have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I know what I'll do. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Why would his father see him? Because he was looking for him. He always had a hope that his son was going to come home. And this is my message, so I'm going to preach it my way. He always had a hope. I believe every day he went out on the front porch and says, Today, this is the day my son's going to come home. Now, his son didn't remember. He, in his heart, he said, I don't deserve to be a son of my father anymore. I want to go back and I want to be a servant. Let's, I want to go back and maybe he'll take me as one of his slaves, one of his servants. Maybe that's what I'll do in my life. But the, father, the Bible says when the father saw him a long way off, um, uh, he, uh, uh, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, my son. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, but is found. And they began to be merry. I want you to know, when there is a reconciliation between people and God, the Bible says all of heaven rejoices. The angels of God rejoice because there's a party going on because a lost child of God came back and reconciled with his father. Did you notice that when he repented, he wasn't received as a servant but as a son? The father restored to him what he had loss. And that brings us to the third point of our text, Manasseh's restoration. So it says in 13 through 17 of Second Chronicles 33, and he prayed to God, and God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. What's interesting, it doesn't always happen in our situation, but it did happen in Manasseh's situation. When Manasseh was in affliction, he was in captivity, he called out to God, and God restored him as a person in his relationship with God, but he also restored him back to the place that he had lost. All right? So, um, and he brought him back to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Manasseh then knew that the Lord was God, and after this he built a wall outside of the city of David, the west side of Gihon in the valley, and he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. So what's, what's happening here? He began to take interest in the land that God had given him to steward. He began to take interest in the people that were underneath his reign. Before, it was all about him. But now, all of a sudden, he's beginning to realize, hey, God's been so good to me. I need to see what I can do to be good to God and to be good to the people that he's put underneath my care. And then he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord, which, by the way, he had made. He had put in there and all the altars he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, altars to idols, false idolatrous worship, and the Bible says he cast them out of the city, he repaired the altar of the Lord, he sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He led all the people that were under his care away from God, and when God restored him, he began to serve the Lord, and as he served God, he began to lead. All the people back towards God. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So there's kind of two things I wanted you to see here. There was an inward restoration that took place in Manasseh's life. Uh, He prayed to him, received his entreaty, and Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. In Revelations 3 and 20, there's a scripture in the book of Laodicea where Jesus is standing outside of the church trying to get in trying to get into one of their services. He's not there. Even though the Bamos is uh, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. What we see in this church is he wasn't there. And he knocks on the door and he says, if anyone hears my voice. Remember that word whoever? Whoever and anyone are the same. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, because God won't force himself on you. God won't make you do something you don't want to do. He gave us free will. But if you will hear his voice, and I'm here to tell you this morning, this morning, he's using me, and the Spirit of God is confirming what I'm saying to you this morning, and he's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you will open the door to him, the Bible says, like that father with the prodigal, he says, I will come into him, and I will dine with him. I will feast with him. We will reconcile, and we will eat together, I with him, and he with me. The Bible says in First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How in the world could he do that? Because at the cross of Calvary, he paid a price for your sin. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, there's that word whoever, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Line. He that knew no sin, Christ, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm a bad dude because I'm lost. I'm irreconcilable with God. No matter what, uh, no matter how good I think I am, there's no way that I can stand in the presence of God. I have what's called a robe of unrighteousness. The Bible says our, our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And that's what I'm wearing. Jesus had a robe of righteousness. It's pure. There's no sin on his. Life at the cross of Calvary, he paid a price so that he could take our robe, that sinful robe, and he put it upon himself. But he didn't just do that, whoever believeth on him, he took his robe of righteousness and placed it on us. My son, who was lost, is now found. Jesus did that for us, and there, so there was an inward restoration with Manasseh, and there's an inward restoration in our lives as well. Whoever uh, The Bible says, um, uh, for we are new creations in Christ. When we become born again and call out to God, we get what we call being saved. God comes in, he forgives us, and he takes up residence within us. And the Bible says, we become new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. But there's also an outward Restoration, and that brings us back to where our text was. After this, we talked about he built a wall, uh, he raised up, put military captains in their place, he took away the foreign gods, um, you know, and he began to repair the altar of the Lord, sacrifice peace offerings, thank offerings on it, commanded Judas, Judah, to serve the Lord God of Israel. What God did in Manasseh, bringing him back to the place of his former position, now began to show itself through his life and through his deeds in Isaiah 61 and 1 and then verse 4 this Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives opening of prison to those who are bound uh, um, you know and, uh, and, um, and and there are other things in there that I didn't put down in there but if you were to jump down to verse 4 these people that are being healed these people that are being restored that are being set free that are being brought back to a place of uh, reconciliation with God and their lives are being made whole it says in verse 4 they the ones that used to be captive they the ones that used to be poor they the ones that used to be broken hearted they the ones that were mourning they the ones that God is doing something in their life they then shall go and repair rebuild the old ruins they shall raise up the former desolations they shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations God does a work in your life so that through you God can bring a work into this world in the lives of your family the lives of your friends the lives of your neighborhood God wants to restore you and through you he wants to restore the lives around you those who receive the good news now bring the fruit of God's work in their lives to the place where they live their homes their workplaces their cities but it begins with God It begins by reconciling with God and getting right with God. It begins by dying to your way of life and picking up his way of life. It begins by getting off the throne of your life and letting God sit on the throne of your life. Some of you are near here today, but it's such an effective illustration. I'm going to share it again. If your life was a car, you've been driving your car, and what you find throughout life is your car is a wreck. And the reason it's a wreck is because you're driving. Your car is beat, it doesn't hardly work anymore. It's, uh, nobody wants to ride with you, nobody wants to be with you because your car, not only is it wrecked, but it stinks. And somebody says, I know the answer. And what's the answer? Well, you've got to come to the, to the workshop. You've got to come to the mechanic shop. And, 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 and here's what you've got to do. When you come to the mechanic shop, you've got to invite the mechanic into your life. But he's not going to work on your car the way you think he's going to work on your car. You think he's just going to come and work on your car, and, and he's just going to do it because you need help. No, it's not going to happen that way. You've got to give him the title deed to your car. You see, what happens is we say, well, that's the mechanic. I'm going to invite the mechanic into my car. Now, mechanic is a, is a metaphor for Jesus. I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. You say, come on, Jesus, come into my life. Here, you can get in, the, in the, either the, the driver's side, the passenger side seat, or you can get in the back. You come into my life. The problem is I keep driving. Why are you in the position that you're in? Because you've been driving. But then you get saved. And Jesus is in your life, but Jesus is terrified because you're driving. No, he ain't terrified. You want to keep things the same. If you keep doing things the same, you have a passenger with you, but you're going to get the same results. The only way to change your life is to give your life to Jesus. Let him drive. Well, I ain't doing that. I don't know what's going to happen. You've got to get to a place where you trust that God who loves you wants what's best for you. And if you will put your life in his hands, he will take better care of you than you've ever taken care of yourself. Well, I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. That's a fine place to be. No problem. Nobody's going to make you. Nobody's going to force you. You can leave here today. You can keep on driving your car, and you can go out. Well, I'll go to another church down the road. They'll let me get saved, and I don't have to give up the keys of my car, and I don't have to let somebody else drive. Well, that's fine. You're welcome to do that. Go to that other church, and you do whatever you want. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible teaches. If you want to see God do something in your life, and you want to see the fruit of God working in your life, you've got to give your life to him. You've got to let him drive the car. Well, how do I do that? You submit yourself to God. God, I'm not where I need to be. My life is a mess. Things that I've done in my life, I'm not happy about. I regret many of the things. I don't know if I can change. But God, if I call out to you, the Bible teaches that if I call out to you, God, that I can be saved. And I understand now this morning that it's not just inviting you into my life. It's giving my life to you. And so this morning, God, I'm scared. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. But this morning, I'm going to give my life to you. I want you to know, I did that in my life. Many, many people here have done that in their life. And when you turn over the reins of your life to God, that doesn't end the process. It begins the process then Jesus begins to work on your car. You see, what happens is when God comes into your life, you feel great, you feel wonderful, but two weeks down the road, three weeks down the road, you say, well, I'm still struggling with these things. These things are still happening in my life. Well, guess what? It's taking time. You gave him ownership of the car, but it's going to take some time to get those, those, the, all that situation in your life fixed, because what happens when you get saved, you reconcile with God, you give him permission to work on your life, but you don't, your mindset doesn't change. The things that you know, all of that doesn't change. You still got to go home. You still got to deal with your spouse who's not saved you still got to do go to work you've got to uh, face down some situations in your life but you know what is you you'll just keep uh, letting God work in your life and doing what God tells you to do eventually all that um you ever had a cord that was all messed up and knotted up and all that kind of stuff when you get saved you give that to God and God begins to pull it here pull it there pull it I don't know about you but I've thrown cords away because I couldn't get it done but God's good and he's patient, and if you'll let him, he'll. and sometimes he pulls on a cord, and you say, no, God, not that cord, no. Oh. All right, you don't want me to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then you get so much pain, you say, okay, God, do it. It's Like a bad tooth. I need to get it fixed, but I'm afraid to go to the dentist because I think it's going to hurt. Aren't you hurting now? Yeah, but not as bad as I think is if I go to the dentist. Well, when you realize that it's going to hurt more not to get work done, then you go, I need to call the dentist. Dennis I need to let God do this in my life he starts pulling on oh it hurts it hurts it hurts when I first got saved and I'm done when I first got saved I thought this was the most wonderful experience I've ever had God's in my life this is and then a couple of weeks later I started getting angry about a month or two later I was getting angry 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 and I said God this isn't what I signed up for I didn't think I was going to get angry. I was never angry before I became a Christian, and the Lord spoke to my heart. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. He spoke to my heart. He said, Rick, you've always been angry. You just never acknowledged it. You buried it. You hid it deep. And I began to realize I I can't let go of something I don't acknowledge that I have. And it was just the grace of God for me to recognize, yes, I am angry. And when I realized I'm angry because I said, well, if God says I'm angry, how can I argue with God? He must be right. And I said, God, help me with this. And when he did that, he began the process. It didn't happen overnight, but he began the process of helping me deal with my anger and all that stuff that I had inside. But see, it didn't just end when I got saved. The work began When I got saved. And that work God wants to begin in your life. But I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But maybe you see yourself in Manasseh. Maybe you see yourself there. You might not be in a a pit somewhere bound in chains in another country. But you look at your life and you say, I might as well be. I'm bound up by sin. I'm bound up by anger. I'm bound up by uh, greed and lust. I'm bound up, uh, you know, my family is, is in turmoil. It seems like a hurricane and a tornado blows through my house, through, throws through my life every day. It seems there's another tornado, another thing's going on. I said, I just don't know how I can handle this. I don't know how, how, what's going to happen in my life. Maybe you got to the place like Manasseh where you said, I think... I think I'm ready to hear about God. I think I'm ready to call on the Lord because I've been doing it myself and it ain't working. I need to come back to God.